Amen. Well, I, I, did, I had deliberately uh, left this message free. Uh, thankfully, I did. Uh, because it has been quite a... Uh, it's just been a time in church life. Uh, all year it has been, to be honest. There's, uh, there's been a lot going on, and yet, you know, in a positive sense, and a difficult sense for many of us. Um, but Jesus promised two things. Trouble and victory. One he brings, the other he doesn't. Uh, it's the evil one who brings us trouble. It, uh, the world finds a way to bring all sorts of stuff against us. But Jesus does promise us victory. And kingdom life, and we've noticed around here, but not just around here, in churches in Queensland, all over the place. The Lord is working. The Lord is, is advancing his kingdom in very practical, very tangible ways. And we see this almost every week here. Well, every week, really. We've had 12 baptisms uh, since we kicked back off services in January. I think that's more than the last two years combined. We've seen people respond with deep repentance, lots of healing going on, inner, inner healing, outer healing, all those sorts of things. Uh, God is sovereignly at work, and it feels at times like a wave coming up the sand at a beach as t- the tide is coming in. As the wave comes in, the wave breaks, and there's turbulence involved in that. There's ups and there's downs all at the same time. In one hand, we have trouble, uh, disruption, heartbreak, disappointments, disappointments with each other, with our families, with God. There's all sorts of very real things that don't just go away. But on the other hand, we've got incredible joy, thankfulness at what God's doing, healing, faith, repentance, all these things, moments of great fellowship together. This is the turbulence of Christian life. And today, I really just want to come pastorally to us and just Help us on that journey. What is this journey that God is doing? If, if God is at work, how can so much be going up and down all at the same time? It, but in this sort of mixed reality that we're in, the sovereign God is choosing to move among us. And if you've heard any of my preaching over the last four years, you'll, you'll understand my drive for Mark 1.15 where Jesus says, this is an opportune moment. This is a time. And these times begin and, and they're, they're a window of opportunity. They, they, they close again. But God calls us to a specific moment of added faith, added repentance, added commitment, added obedience to what he says. And he says, do it now because the kingdom's at hand. You can reach out and you can grasp it. The offer is there, but but the offer requires us to step into that as well. But the interesting thing is he's moving among us and we're all used to our lane that we move in with our Christian life. We, we have this, the breadth of our Christian experience. We move in that lane and we're comfortable in that lane. But now and again, he stretches us and says, no, I'm, I'm inviting you into a broader space. He, it's like he adds a couple of lanes to, our, to what's possible in our Christian walk. But as, as he adds that lane, he doesn't take away the trouble that would normally restrict us from embracing that. He says, no, I'm offering you a new space right in the midst of all that trouble because you're going to get bigger than it. The kingdom is so much bigger than all the stuff that we go through. And so he invites us right in the midst of the trouble that we want him to get rid of in our life or we feel we need him to have resolved, all those things we think, God, can you just not fix that? And he's on the way. He says, justice is coming. But, but when I come, he says, will I find faith? I'm on the way. It's going to happen. But in the meantime, will I find faith? And so he invites us into this bigger space. And in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks into this dynamic of getting bigger than the troubles that we experience. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So this is our experience. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, 
struck down but not destroyed. And you can just see there's no denial of the pain he's going through there. But it's saying that, that pain can't destroy me if, if, if I'm not just relying on me. See, nothing can, can do us in if we resolve that it's not just me that this stuff's trying to fight. If I'm leaning back onto him, I can always win. I can always overcome. The, the resources of heaven never run dry. Mine do. I'm weak. I'm a, I'm a cracked pot like everybody else. The crackpot has frailties in it. The water leaks. This, this treasure, we can't contain it. But, but then he calls us to grow the crackpot somewhat. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So he doesn't come with all that presence and all that power and all that peace just when the troubles in our life stop. He comes despite all that. He doesn't come when everything in our life can be explained. These are the things that stop us. Our troubles stop us from jumping into a new experience of God. Our lack of understanding does the same thing. And we say things, Lord, I can believe in you when I understand how and why you do things. But he doesn't offer explanation to us. He just says, will I find faith? I'll trust you, Lord, to heal hearts when you explain why mine got broken. He says, in the midst of that unexplained stuff, will I find faith in your life? And so he opens up new things that overcome these existing things. I love this verse in Job, and I've only just been reacquainted with it in recent weeks. Job 36, he says, But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place, there's that broadening of the lane, free from restriction, to the comfort of your table, laden with choice food, in the midst of all that other stuff. The presence of confusion about God and life is not a constraint on us. We don't need to treat it like it is. So he also invites us to go beyond our troubles and the unexplained, but he invites us to go beyond our religion as well, if I can put it in that sort of term. Our religion, our norms, our denominationalism, our, our doctrine, our traditions. Um, you know, because what we know in our lane that we've always been in can actually bar us from walking into what we don't know because we become handcuffed to the things that we know, the traditions of old. We're a bit of a mixed bunch. I mean, it's a, it's a, lighter, it's a lighter side of, of, of ministry as a senior minister. It's a bit of a, it gives me a bit of a chuckle. But there'd be, there'd be few weeks that go by when I'm not given a polite sort of suggestion about how to, how to run the church. And uh, it, it's, it's good fun, you know. Um, can you not preach more into this topic or that topic? You know, can we talk more about liturgy and communion? And don't forget end times, Pat, and, but, but only about the end times the way I see it. And why the lights? Why not more lights? Why not more songs? Why not different songs? Why not less songs? And you know, and we just, we have the banter and this is what we all do. It's, it's okay. But we're, we're non-homogenous. We're not all the same. If, I'd be worried if I wasn't having those conversations, to be honest, because we're not the same. We've not come from the same place. That's what keeps me honest in that sense where we've, just, we've got to confront all the time and reconsider what are we doing, why are we doing it. So we're not homogenous in our, in our doctrine or our practice, so we've all got to stretch a little bit with all of this sort of stuff. The one thing that's common, though, is all of us right now are being challenged to break out into a new space. Whatever your history, whatever your belief, whatever your practice and preference, we're all being stretched right now. There's so much disruption going on, positive and not so positive. 
Every conversation I have almost seems to go this way. But as, as staff, we talk into this and go, what's our response? How do we deal with this? And we've been talking about this idea of servant leadership. And, and to be honest, servant leadership, and we all have different ideas of what that means. Um, but for me, it's driven by one big idea. There's one big idea. Servant leadership isn't bowing to, to everyone's preference. It's, it's giving people what they legitimately need the most. That's what servant leadership does. It gives people what they legitimately need the most. Jesus was a servant leader. What did we need? We needed salvation. We needed healing. He gave us what we needed the most. And that priority, sometimes it overlaps with what we want the most. Quite often it does. I've got a lot of faith in the heart of people to know what they also want is what they also need. But sometimes we need a bit of a nudge in a new direction as well. But the, the weird thing about my personality, if you haven't figured it out by now, is that I, I love to define and solve the big questions, the, the important stuff. I, I just love to go there. What, what's, what matters a lot right now that's not being addressed and answered? So I'm, I'm always drifting into that space at the, uh, at the peril of those people who have to try and work with me. But what I want right now as the senior minister of this church is to lead you in a direction of what matters most. Because there's all sorts of stuff will be screaming at us, some of us, our preferences, some of us, our beliefs, all sorts of things, but what do you need the most? And occasionally, it all, all the stars align in that sort of sense, and, and you, can, you can validly synthesize the complexity of the Christian life into a really profound simplicity, and that's what I'm hoping to do this morning. And I want to illustrate it with a very simple scripture that Paul used from Romans 14. And in this context, he was grappling with the Roman church. Um, because they got stuff all mixed up as well, and they were doing this and doing that and, and arguing their case and doing all that sort of stuff. So the whole of Romans chapter 14, if you ever read it, we don't, we don't often read it anymore because it's talking about issues that don't get, we, we don't have to grapple with too often right now. He was grappling with this whole concept of uh, meat that had been sacrificed to, uh, to idols. It was, it was part of the pagan practice back then that, that people would take meat, which is value, I mean, and, and giving it putting it before an idol, and obviously the meat would just stay there because there's nothing behind the idol. It's just a wood and, and, and stone. And Paul's just going, there's nothing there. It's just rock. Nothing's happened to the meat. It hasn't become demonized all of a sudden. It's just still meat. But people are saying, you can't do that. You can't eat that meat. You get, you know, it's, it's been offered to God now. And he's having this argument back and forward because some people are saying, hang on, you, this, I'm going to put my flag on this hill and I'm dying there, don't cross this line, don't take that meat, you can't have it. Meanwhile, there's all these poor people up here, they haven't had meat for, for years and they're going, I could really use that steak right now, it looks okay to me, can I not just give it, put it on the, on the barbecue and cook the sacred cow, so to speak? And Paul's there going, look, if, if, it's, a, if it's an issue to them, then it's an issue. If it's not an issue to you, it's not an issue. But get the focus right and stop trying to convince everyone to do things your way. Leave them alone and get back to the real thing. And he, and he brings it back and it's almost like a matter of fact. He goes, and by the way, the most important thing, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about lights and music and, and the finer points of doctrine and all that. It's not about any of that. He takes it beyond church world and goes, there's a kingdom that's much higher than the way we do church sometimes. Thank God for that. 
You know, I love our church. I love everyone in it. Not everyone loves me. I'm okay with that. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'll do all I can, you know. But at the end of the day, that's church. It's messed up and mucked up, imperfect as I am. <laughs> but above all that, there is this incredible thing called the kingdom, the greatest endeavor the world has ever seen, and we get to play a part of that and give our lives to that. And he's saying that kingdom is not a matter of all this stuff. It's of righteousness, peace, and joy found in the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. The kingdom is where the king has his domain, and in that kingdom is these three elements. And you can so easily skip over this, and we mostly do. But this is an offer for the God-seekers to change our assumption of what God life looks like. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is coming from Paul. He's a law expert. He's a judgment guy. He would kill you if you stepped out of line before he met Jesus. And he's, he's now painting the picture. It's not about rules and judgment. It's not about shame and punishment and performance. It's not about God expecting anything from you because he's met that need in Jesus. It's, not about, it's about God giving you what you need for life. It's a world where grace comes. It meets your need and it makes all things possible. So this is a spacious place. This is where he's calling all of us, all people, into this broader expression, this spacious place that's bigger than church. It's a kingdom idea where the king reigns in our life. So let me drill down into these three elements of righteousness, peace, and joy. Let's start with righteousness. Basically, righteousness, it's quickly overlooked in church world because we, we figure we've got the idea and we want to move on. But righteousness in its base means just right standing. It means I can stand before God in right standing. I'm, I'm innocent. I'm redeemed. Jesus paid the price for my sin. Therefore, based on what he did, I can have faith in what he's done on my behalf. Therefore, I have right standing before God. Hallelujah. It just, you can't lose for winning now. It, it's done. It's done for you. It's where I should be. It's where I was designed to be in relationship with God. He's, he's taken us back to the original plan, the created order of Eden where... God and humanity could dwell in perfect union. So it's, it's right standing before God. I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I'm called, I have purpose. But what we have is not what we experience. We can all nod our head. You can just agree with everything I've just said, but not experience that in a way that transforms your view of yourself and of God. See, many of us feel, and I know because I talk to us all, feel a sense of this unworthiness to be used by God. It's, it's, it's only for the good and the great to go and bear fruit. And so they run away from uh, audacious calling not, instead of towards it. And so many of us grapple with this sense of ongoing sin because we feel like this is worse for me now because before I was saved, at least I had an excuse, but now I'm saved and now the expectations have gone higher and so I feel even worse about myself. We don't understand that this righteousness has come from him and it can't be undone and he, he forgave me when I was at my worst what makes me think he's going to stop now you know this right standing before God but it overflows once you, you can square that away and go I've got that but the ramifications of this not being right in our own life flow over to our sense of right standing this righteousness before each other that I have right standing before you you have right standing before me despite all the imperfections and all the times we get annoyed with each other and so on. And many don't, in themselves, just in themselves, feel uh, accepted by other people, valuable for who they are and so on. And because we're not sure of our right standing with God, we haven't squared away our identity, our, our, our righteousness before God, 
we have this nagging sort of itch in ourselves that needs to find it because a human soul needs righteousness. So we revert to temporal things instead of the eternal things. So to, to get right standing before each other, we have to have the right clothes and the right houses and the right career and the right life plan, super, cars. We've got all this stuff because this is how it has to be if I have right standing. If I, if I do well in life, this is how life is supposed to look. Come on, we're from Brookfield and Pullenvale and Kenmore and Centenary. We know in the world standard, you're already in the top half percent and beyond. How much more right standing do we need? How much more do we have to prove to each other that I'm doing okay? You're okay. You're okay. You have right standing before all of us, but we don't feel that way. And so we carry this residual burden of just not feeling good enough. And we wonder why when we complain to God about it, we can't hear him talking into it. It's because he doesn't agree with you and he's not going to enter into a conversation that he fundamentally disagrees with. You have righteousness before God. And God's inviting us to a bigger experience of this, a, a revelation that can only come through the spirit of forgiveness and acceptance and identity and purpose, the security that can only come from him because it was designed to only be found in him. You can get all the right stuff you like in life. You can own everything. You can do the whole lot. And it's not going to matter if you haven't got this right righteousness thing sorted out. Righteousness, peace is the second one. Peace. We think, man, we know peace. Goodness me, we're in the West. Nothing goes wrong here except when we vote a new government in or something. You know, it's like, how, how hard can it get? We're at peace. We've never known a, a war on our own soil. But peace is much deeper than that. The true, the true interpretation of peace is obviously shalom. It's a, it's a created order. Shalom in the Hebrew sense was much deeper than I'm not fighting with anyone right now. It's, it's I have a deep rightness about myself with myself about God and with God, with other people and with the cosmos. So everything is as it should be. Everything is the way it was designed to be. Uh, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a righteousness at an eternal level. And last weekend, we did a retreat here. Um, it was a, we had a fantastic retreat, a number of churches were here. And uh, it was just interesting when we began uh, just following the flow of the Holy Spirit in ministering to people's lives, and we found that as we scratched below the surface of real people, people like you and I, it, we were, it was instantly a, a revealing, it's almost like the paint come off, and we realised below that, that layer, there's not a lot of peace going on in a lot of people's lives. Shalom's not really uh, a story, there's a lot of anxiety happening, there's a lot of fear that's just residual, you know, it's just, it just hangs around and we're so used to it, we just think it's life, but worried about losing their health or their spouse and, or possessions, all this sort of stuff, fear, just bubbling away, churning away and when there's nothing else filling our mind, that's what's the first thing that fills, us, fills the spot. There's a whole heap of unsettledness, uh, family sickness, relational breakdowns, troubles that are very real, but it just disrupts the soul and for many of us, it's just below the surface all the time. For others, there's a deep sense of pain um, that we've just, it's like our best friend, it's just always been there. It's our constant journeyman, you know, pain from neglect in the past or trauma, insecurity, all that sort of stuff. And this lack of peace, we tolerate it because it's sort of all we know. But when God invites us to more in the kingdom sense, he's inviting us to a depth of peace that can't be troubled because it's so much bigger than trouble. So Jesus promised, and we quote it all the time, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. And what he's saying there is the, trouble, the troubles that come are external, but this peace that he offers 
is internal, it's, it's foundational, it's substantial. So trouble is circumstantial, but peace is substantial. It's, it's, it, it's a standing for us to be on, it's a footing and it's a foundation. But we find in our real life, if, we, if we're lacking this peace, this sort of peace that Jesus is talking about, we find it really hard to project forward in our life. So we, we actually lose hope. When we lose peace, we automatically lose hope. Because I can't project forward that things are going to be much better because I'm not experiencing it now and I lose hope that it's going to be there in the future. So Paul actually prays into this in the next chapter. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so as you lean onto him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He always comes back to, this isn't something you can produce. You've got to rely on him and he gives it to you through the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so you can overflow. Is anyone ever feeling hopeless? Normally it's because we don't have a sense of peace about right now, especially in that real deep shalom sense. So God invites us to an experience of more. This is the lane growing in our life, that you get more peace and out of that peace would overflow more hope. So there's a revelation that God's completely enough. I hope this is your experience, or at least the journey that you're on, that God is enough. All this trouble I'm feeling right now, all this disruption, it cannot be bigger than him. It cannot be bigger than the peace that he offers me. It doesn't matter what the problem is. If I'm getting my peace from him and not my own supply, I will win the day. I will always get through. And that's the experience that he's offering us to get into. Righteousness, peace, and finally, joy. Joy. The kingdom, this is hard for us, right? Because I, I, I know, we're Queenslanders. It's not state of origin time yet. Conservative, introspective, thoughtful, highly intelligent Queenslanders. So joy, we don't do joy, right? That's for the mad Pentecostals in the corner. <laughs> but my Bible says that is the kingdom. Me, me giving a nod to Jesus is good is not the kingdom. That's the Baptist in me. That's the theologian in me going, I absolutely 100% agree on that and I'll fight that to the hill. Is it my experience? Not all the time. Joy is from the kingdom. External, so you've got to differentiate joy from happiness. Happiness is external. Happiness comes from circumstance. Joy is internal. Joy comes from connection, relationship. Joy is completely different to happiness. Joy comes from being connected to God. See, the poorest person on the planet can live in joy. I've seen it, if I've seen it once, I've seen it 10,000 times. Somebody who's got nothing but still has the joy that I've never experienced because they're connected to God. They're connected to other people as well. It brings joy, overflowing joy. Psalm 16, 11, it's so good. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, see, there's re- it's connection, it's relationship. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Look, I'm like the rest of us. I know there are, there are, there are seasons in life where we struggle in joy and, and we struggle in worship. But you know why that is? It's because we're not connected. We're not connected to God. You can't be connected to God and not be overflowing with joy. You can't do it. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. 
But when we're not connected, you know, we, we, we can come in here and our lives have been busy, we've been chasing other things. Our heart is on something else, isn't it? Our heart is disconnected. And we come in here and, and it's like, oh, worship, must we? <laughs> this reminds me of where my faith's at right now. I'm disconnected. And so instead of being a, a, a moment of incredible joy, it becomes in, incredible enduring. It's like, are they going to really do that fourth song again, that verse again? And it becomes hard and tedious. Why is that? Because we're not connected to God. It's okay. Just own it. Just own it. You're a human being. But when we can identify it, put a light on this thing, we can go, that's the problem. It's not God. It's not the worship leader. It's not that guitarist or the bass player or lack of them or whatever it is. It normally comes back to me. God's with me, but I'm not with him. And I've come in here and I've brought that with me. So, and I'm not talking about how this looks externally. I'm not saying you've got to have your right hand up in this song and left hand, you've got to bow, whatever. It's, we all worship in different ways. I'm talking about your heart. You know. You know where your heart is. And you know when you're connected and you know when you're not. But this, this lane expansion that God's drawing us to, it's going to require a change. It's going to require an obedient step. He, he makes the lane. He brings us into this, this, this broad place. But we've got to step into it. In the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our religion that's only done it a certain way, and he offers us more, but it's going to start with a small step. And it doesn't matter what's been in your past. It doesn't matter what happened to you this week. It doesn't matter about your past failures, because what happened before doesn't determine what's going to happen next. It doesn't depend on your past hurt. It doesn't matter how broken or insecure you are. It doesn't matter about what your, your past church experience is. It doesn't matter what your church experience was today. It doesn't reflect what God has for you. So Mark 1.15, let me say it one more time. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. How do we know? Because we're seeing it every week. Some of us, a lot of us, we know that little step. And we're just going, yes. I don't know how it's going to work out. I haven't got the strength to do it, but I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to stop this thing that I'm, I'm doing that I know is killing me and my family. I'm going to start doing something else. I'm not going to allow life to destroy my soul when Jesus promises to build it up again. I'm going to change something about my life. It requires a step of obedience into this other lane. The time has come. It's now. This is now. I don't know how long we're going to preach like this. I don't know how long it's going to go. But the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I've had to repent of stuff. I'm still repenting of stuff. Little things, as they come up day to day, week to week, I'm not letting them get in the way of what God's doing amongst us. They've got to be, some of them are hard. Some of them I'd rather run a mile than deal with it. But that's my little small, yes, that's my little step. And we've got to do that stuff. Jesus calls us to deal with these small things. Unforgiveness, judgment, all the stuff that separates us. Sometimes we've wronged people and we need to set it right. Now is the time. The opportunity is here. The kingdom is advancing forcefully. Is it not something you've always dreamed of, that you'd see God work? Instead of just going to church every week and it's like, well, I'm giving out, where's God at? He's here now, calling you, calling me. The kingdom is at hand. Repent turn away. Repentance just means I'm going to change direction on this thing. You don't need to feel guilty or judged about it. He's just saying, just do that. And I'm with you. Repent. 
and believe. Pick up something better than what you've been hanging on to. And when we do that, the kingdom advances forcefully. So I don't know whether you've been far from God. There are people here, just like Jesus gave the parable of the older and younger brother. There's lots of older brothers here that, you know, we've done the right thing for all our life. And there's the younger brothers here. We've given up. It's too much. We can't do this Christian thing. I don't want to go to church anymore. Maybe you've turned your back and it's time just to turn back, not because we've earned it, but because you need it. It's because you need it. Maybe it's time to give up something that you know needs to stop and you just need to draw the line and say, I'm not doing that anymore. This is the day where I stop and God will help you to stop. God will help you and he'll give you what you need to do that. Sometimes it's just a moment where we need to surrender. Say, Father, I've done faithfulness all my life. I'm aware that you're calling me to do this other thing, but I haven't got it. I, I can't even live life normally, let alone this other thing. And I surrender. I'm just putting down my own strength, and I want to follow you and rely on your strength. So why don't we just pray? Ask the Lord to speak. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord, sometimes it feels a bit spiky when we realize, but the Holy Spirit will convict us at times. He never condemns. If you are feeling condemnation, that is not the Holy Spirit. He convicts. He'll convict us of one thing at a time, and when he convicts, he also gives us the faith and the supply to deal with that one thing. All we need to do is just say yes. Today is the day. The kingdom's at hand. I'm going to repent and I'm going to believe in him. What is your thing? Hopefully you don't have one. You're a better person than I am. Father, I just pray you're the only one who has the right to convict. <clears throat> you're the only one who can give us everything we need. So Father, we just, I just pray right now, if there is something we need to be doing, if there's a step that we need to be taking, will you show us what that is right now? If there's a right that needs to be wronged, a relationship restored as far as it's up to us, that doesn't put us in danger. Give us the wisdom. Give us the faith. Give us the courage to take that step. We place that thing right now before you and we leave it there. Help us to do the next right thing. And Lord, I pray with decisions like that being made that you would come with your Holy Spirit and give us righteousness, that our identity would be sealed in you. We know we can stand before you because I'm not hiding anything anymore. I'm not holding back because of this stuff that I want to carry because I've let it go now. I'm experiencing righteousness before you. And Lord, I pray for peace, the fullness of your peace, the peace that goes beyond all understanding. Will you let it rest heavily on the souls and spirits and bodies of each of us here? Tangibly, Lord, the peace of God that's beyond all understanding that we can't manufacture. Come, Holy Spirit. And God, will you release rivers of joy rivers of joy that comes from you that comes from freedom 
that comes from burdens lifted off our shoulders where we realise I've got nothing to lose that I can't lose for winning you're always enough you'll always defend me you'll always provide what I need let joy run through this place in Jesus name